Welcome to Resourceful Humans. I'm your host, Corey Haber, and today I have Brenda and Anthony with me, both very, very experienced in HR, and we're going to hear from them, their opinions, their tips, just and also things that we can do during this pandemic time in the remote world as in regards to performance management, which I know is something that a lot of people are struggling with because the remote world is very new for a lot of businesses and employers. So thanks for coming on today, you guys. I'm excited to have you. Thanks for having me, Corey. Excited to be here. Thank you, Corey. Me as well. You're welcome. So, you know, let's get started. And I, I'm gonna, I have a question that I really just am anxious to hear what you guys have to say about it. But as far as performance management, how do you, how do you feel managers or HR professionals are handling performance management or performance issues in terms of monitoring the performance right now when, while their employees are working remote without being micromanagers? So Anthony, you wanna answer that first or? Sure, I can start. Um, so my experience since COVID-19 started back in, I guess, March, mid-March, um, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle in the beginning with managing poor performers. And really um, there wasn't a lot of activity going on um, at that point. We were kind of <clears throat> trying to give the employees the benefit of the doubt um, at the same time, trying to get as much output while we were trying to get used to working from home and, and dealing with the pandemic and that sort of thing. Um, now I work in a, in a very diverse um, work area, which is manufacturing and office work. Um, so it was a bit of a struggle with people being at home and then going into the manufacturing site here and there, um, as well as people working from home. So as we got a few months into it, uh, into the uh, pandemic, things started to kind of normalize where people were more used to working from home on a daily basis, as well as doing those various shifts on the manufacturing side. So the managing of the performance did get a little easier um, and we resumed putting, you know, performance plans and coaching, formalized coaching and that sort of thing um, with the employees. I didn't really come into any situations where managers were micromanaging their employees. Of course, there was a totally different dynamic with the way they, they had to interact with the employees, such as WebEx or, or Skype or the phone, um, as opposed to just stopping by their desk which is typical. Um, so there, there was a little more work on both the manager and the employee's part to get the communication going. So, so there was that part of it. But again, as, as time went on, uh, people got used to it. The managers got used to it, the employees got used to it. And we did, you know, as we did start seeing performance issues, whether it was in the sales force, not, you know, the people not meeting their, their, their sales budgets, or whether it was in the manufacturing area, um, it was it was again we resumed the uh, performance plans and the the coaching and that sort of thing, and we kind of tailored those performance plans to fit the issue of COVID nineteen. Um, so I'll give you an example. So normally in our sales force, we tend to make sales calls, meaning visits to to potential customers, um, vendors, that kind of thing, and um, as we, as we found out, you know, some people were not meeting those expectations. Some people were really meeting those expectations. They found ways to use the technology available to 
to make those calls and to get those potential sales. Um, but for the ones who didn't, unfortunately, you know, it, we, we did kind of tailor their performance plans for the COVID-19. So we would use certain words like, you know, to utilize the technology um, to make those calls. So that's really been my, ex my experience with performance issues um, in this pandemic since March. Uh, very good by Anthony. I mean, um, it seems like I've been exposed to a different type of experience where some of the folks that I've been in touch with don't have experience in remote workforce, right? They're, they're actually experiencing something, the complete opposite, where they are having issues. Let's talk about technology, right? Um, they, something that wasn't in the budget before, and now they have to kind of figure out how to provide technology, Wi-Fi, laptops, um, to their employees and for a long time I've heard oh well my my internet went down or um, my my employee couldn't access her her or his laptop whatever the case may be and so I think that for those who are not accustomed to this they're going to see some challenges and still up ahead um, when this is going to become the new norm um, what I am finding though which I'm liking is that before where they thought it wasn't possible to have a remote workforce, now they're understanding that they can. Um, and I've also heard um, where, oh my gosh, this is something where we can accommodate should an employee is unable for whatever X, Y, and Z reason can come in, this is something to look at for the future. Um, so it's been quite interesting, I'll tell you, in this um, remote work force management, performance management, um, workspace that we're in thanks to COVID. But I think this is something that's going to really stick. It's not something just for the COVID-19. I, I have a good feeling that this might stick for a little longer and not just because of the pandemic, but because now some folks are seeing it, that is a possibility to do. To right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I actually should clarify a little bit, um, you know, my company, so if you're in an office environment, more likely than not, you are working some kind of uh, virtual uh, work, uh, whether it's one day a week or two days a week, and this is all prior to COVID-19. Um, so most employees who are office type employees um, have that access to work from home. They have the laptops, they have, they have the technology. We're a very large company. Um, again, the manufacturing, not so much. We had to, we had to deal with that. Uh, with shifting schedules and, and you know, um, maybe two days on or two days off and giving them some kind of time to make up for the time they normally would have been there just to keep that social distancing and those COVID-19 guidelines, you know, intact, depending on what state they're in or, you know, at the time, whatever restrictions were involved. Right. Yeah, some of the folks that I've been in touch with, some employers are allowing their employees to come in um, provided that they do keep the social distancing guidelines, um, where instead of two people cubicle or you know facing one another, um, it's every other cubicle you'll see an employee there, and they're actually giving option um, because they have received some hesitation from some employees who don't feel comfortable coming in to the office yet, and so. A common question is, are you okay coming in? And sometimes, no, I'm not. And, and it could be for another a merit of reasons where they're not able to come in, um, school, support, all those other things that can affect employees' life, um, uh, lifestyle because of COVID. So there's a lot to consider um, when 
having someone come in, an employee come into the office, it might not be a possibility at all. So that has to be a conversation and see what can be accommodated. And I don't see where we can't do that if it's a I just really want to back it. I want to back it up for just a minute. I want you to, or I'd love for you to share as far as just before, before the pandemic, pandemic or no pandemic, what are the best ways for a manager to manage performance in general? I mean, and then we could, and then I'd love for us to kind of compare how it's changed a little bit, but in general, I think it's, it would be nice to hear your opinions on how to manage performance and maybe some stories that you might have of successful performance management or even a, a not such a successful performance management situation. That's a great question, Corey. I mean, uh, one of the things that I use um, in the office at, at the company and also to develop uh, folks that I work with closely is I talk about the SMART acronym, right? Uh, when managing performance, you have to make sure that whatever the project may be, whatever the task may be, it has to be specific, measurable, um, attainable, realistic, timely, right? So in all of those things, I'll provide an, ex uh, an example for all of those things. Um, so, you know, be specific. And what type of project are you having the employee work on? Is it cold calling, as Anthony May alluded to for Salesforce? You know, how many people um, are they expecting to call, whatever the case may be? Um, is it realistic to call 100 people? Or is it realistic to call 200 people? You know, you have to really kind of measure, develop a metrics where um, these are the, the, the areas where you're measuring employees' performance, right? Um, what, what else? Um, is it attainable? Has it been... Has, have we had experience where an employee has met these goals and have exceeded them? And so how, what, was, what were their best practice? Do we have that available? Is there any documentation available that we can provide and then add to it in terms of their experience, um, right? And so, and so is it um, realistic? Absolutely. Or if it's not realistic, then we have to revisit what are those documents, what has been documented in terms of what to expect for an employee. And, and all of this, we, you know, when is it due, right? For an employee to work from home and they're not used to work from home, right? There might be some other distractions. They have kids at home or a spouse at home, right? Or right. puppy or dog, whatever the case may be, whatever they, you know, whatever they're going to experience, they may get distracted. And so, but does it matter? Unless you have those specific, those smart goals outlined, that's how you're going to measure your uh, the employee's performance, right? And that's how you. This is kind of your tool, your metrics to provide an outline and some guidance. And no matter how they achieve them, they'll be able to to meet them. And if they don't, then we have to look at is it realistic, right? Right. And I if they have, is a good way. Yeah, realistic. I think is the key word when it comes to performance management because you will make employees feel like they're failing if your expectations are far from real. <laughs> Absolutely, you don't ever want to have an employee feel like they're not meeting their goals. And if they're not, and they are realistic, then you have to have those conversations and make sure what's preventing them to meet those goals. Is it um, communication issues? Is it you know technology issue? Is it time management issues? So there's just a whole lot of things that um, conversation has to happen need to be had with the employee itself just to make sure that these smart goals are met. 
Anthony, any feedback? I totally agree on the, I, I'm a big fan of the SMART criteria. Um, but I would also say, you know, I think the all employees should get some kind of basic um, outline of what their job actually is. So, you know, I know it might be cliche in some areas, but a job description yeah. would Absolutely. really, you know, help in that department. Um, and again, you know, those things should be fluid, you know, obviously things change over time, but it really should just be a general, what does this person do or what are they responsible for? What are the expectations of the job? Now from year to year, when you're looking at, okay, we're going to do performance and, you know, I know a lot of companies are getting away from the whole performance appraisal uh, thing. They're going more to like ongoing performance assessments. Uh, but I think for most of us, we're still doing the annual performance reviews. Um, so I think, you know, again, using the SMART criteria, you put in targets, you put in uh, responsibilities. What are the projects that this person is going to be working on this year? And again, those things could be changeable throughout the year, but it's on the employee and the manager to kind of keep that updated. This way, at the end of the year, the manager has that opportunity to make that uh, assessment. And again, we all know things change. I mean, obviously this year um, with COVID-19, I'm sure, you know, a lot of companies are just going on their merry way doing what they were, you know, tasked to do. Employees were doing what they were tasked to do. The whole world in March, and, you know, maybe the strategy changed. Look at companies like Ford um, or GM, you know, they were making cars and they were making ventilators. Um, so, <laughs> you know, we just, and that's an extreme example, but it's just an example of we have to keep up with the changing environment even, even every day um, in order to properly assess the employee and what they're doing. And then on top of that, I think there needs to be discussion. There needs to be, you know, <clears throat> I remember a time when managers um, would talk to their employee twice a year because they had to. That would be at the mid-year review and at the year-end review. And sometimes they would even skip the mid-year review. So it would just be that, um, that end of year and it would be basically a two-minute conversation. Yeah, you did great. Here's your, here's your rating. Go back to work. Um, no, I think, <laughs> I think um, <laughs> the manager really needs to have uh, you know, more ongoing discussion. I would even argue a couple of times a month or maybe more as needed. I mean, if, if somebody's struggling in their job, um, you know, you may have to kind of have more of a dialogue, you know, before you put the person on some kind of coaching plan or performance plan or something like that. It needs to be that the employee should not come surprised when, you know, the manager says, hey, we're putting you on a PIP now. Um, that should not come as a surprise at all to the employee. Unfortunately, it does a lot. And, and unfortunately for the manager, those are the pips that don't survive um, because they're not usually managing the pips, you know, um, they're, or they're managing the pips just like they were managing the, the prior performance. They're not. They're so, not. <laughs> so and, that, and, you know, you asked for an example. Those are the examples um, of, of, you know, non-success stories, um, but maybe not one you were thinking of. Um, because I have advised, I mean, I have advised managers in the past, look, you're not living up to your end of the pit. Um, we have to move on now. <laughs> so. I absolutely, oh, go ahead, Brenda. Sorry. I just love how you kind of word it where it needs to be ongoing. Um, you know, doing orientation, uh, when I speak to the employees, Hey, just because 90 days are up doesn't mean that we're not managing your performance and if you have any questions by all means feel free to ask because what happens is and it feels too comfortable when and a manager takes a laid-back approach and I'm not saying for a manager to be on top of the employee and constantly at their beck and call um, asking questions I mean you want to 
uh, provide some sense of accountability and some self um, resourcefulness for them to just go out and get their information on their own. But at the same time, if you're not, um, you know, kind of asking, hey, how's it going? Is there anything I can provide for you? You're not going to get much information from the employee, right? And you want them to provide you with, um, with information where I need another screen. I can't work, right, from one screen and trying to do all this data entry and then have you expect me to turn it in at this time. So constant open door policy, a dialogue, conversations, um, would be nice. And, and I've heard some horror stories where employees get terminated for whatever X, Y, and Z. They're not meeting the smart goals, right? And so instead of having, uh, making adjustments um, on those smart goals, because I also heard the last time a job description was updated was about over 15, 20 years ago. What's going on? Time changed. Look at the, look at the situation we're in now, right? So there's going to be a lot of uh, things that have to be looked at reevaluated and I think on top of that um, having one-on-one conversations maybe not as frequently and so when the annual reviews I look at annual reviews as a money review are there any merits attached to this annual review yes there might be or no but at least you give some sort of feedback to the employee just to let them know where they are on the on the ongoing basis right. I really I really agree with what you guys have said as far as how often someone should be reviewed from my personal experience, not, not the job I previously had, but way back when I had a different job, I would only get a review every six months. I know when I first started it, the first one was uh, after three months and then it moved to every six months after that. And I remember thinking it was just so frustrating because if I was doing something that they felt I could be doing better, I had to wait for six months to even know and then try to correct it. And and I also feel like it's just, it's, a, it's sometimes setting up your employee to fail because for several months they're going on doing something that they could have corrected way before then. And, and sometimes it's too late by the time you let them know in a review. And, and that's how I felt. It was frustrating. I would always ask for feedback prior to it but it just almost, it made me feel uncomfortable because it made me feel like I shouldn't be asking for any feedback if it wasn't the formal review. And then uh, touching on the job description thing, I, I honestly, I think a fun activity would see, be able to, I would love to see if employees could just write out what they think their job description is because I bet oh. you almost no one could match what it was when they actually interviewed and obtained the job. So. That, that's an interesting point, Anthony, you made that to give the um, job description to the employees because I, I think it, it doesn't sound cliche at all. I, I do think a lot of people really don't remember or know anymore what it is. They just get used to doing their responsibilities and, and that's it. So, yeah, I mean, I like the job description because it serves the employee as a metrics. Like, okay, they're going to, if I'm going to get a review today, these are the items I'm going to be reviewed on. Right, but then they forget to see that the bottom line says and other things as needed. Right, if if an employer is um, diligent enough to put that as a bullet point in their list of responsibilities, um, but you're right, Corey, and you know things change all the time, and job descriptions are not as consistent as they were before. I mean, everybody's wearing many hats, and the reason for that is because of budget, the economy, um, technology change, the demands change. So employees probably feel overwhelmed and managers are not 
guided properly as well. So I also think that managers should have some training in, in this because they, they don't have the proper guidance. So how they kind of guide a team if they don't have right. the, the resources and tools to do that properly as well. Right. And you know, I kind of want to throw you a curveball here. I know we didn't really discuss this before, but HR is really, it, you know, a lot of the um, HR professional's job is to be guidance and to kind of guide your managers and your teams into how they can work with their own teams. So in a sense, you know, you're not doing the performance management day-to-day uh, techniques for every employee. In a sense, it should be teaching the leaders of your different areas of the company how to manage performance for their teams so so really what you know what do you what are some best practices that you have as far as teaching a manager or teaching someone else how to manage performance and i know sometimes that all it all falls on hr but it is imperative i think that your team leaders know how to do that as well yeah, um, I'm, you know, I'll start with this. I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of powerpoints and sitting through bulleted, you know, just um, templated uh, trainings for for managers. On, I mean, while that's a good resource sometimes, where you could give that to your manager to, you know, as a checklist to say this is what you should be doing to manage performance. I really believe um, it, it's inherent on the on the company. You know, depending on how large it is, maybe the team or the, the or the business you know, within the company um, on how they should be managing the performance because it all depends also on what kind of jobs they're managing, um, you know, uh, what level managers they are. Um, all these things kind of come into play as to how, but really in the end, it's, it's probably the frontline manager that will be doing most of the performance management. Um, yes, some of the higher level managers will be managing their managers um, below them. Um, but by that point, you know, in their career, they pretty much know what they're doing um, for managing performance and what expectations to set and that kind of thing. But I think it's really incumbent on the first line manager um, because they're dealing with the day to day. And again, I think I'm more of the approach of a tailored uh, type of training, maybe coaching, um, but also, and you know, you could give that overview of how you think performance should be managed and how to manage poor performers and that kind of thing. You know, there's, there's certainly general fundamentals of doing that, but if to get more in depth, I think a tailored type of training, trying to understand the organizational culture, uh, the history, that kind of thing. Um, I think that's important in, in trying to give the best advice for performance management. And then of course, you know, dealing with the one-on-ones. Um, so they have a certain situation, each situation may be different on how to handle um, so that direct line with HR and the frontline manager is crucial. So. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Anthony. I mean, I think that training should be tailored to the specific of the employee and how they learn. Um, not every person learns the same way and not everyone has the same need. I, I think that that should be considered highly. And I love PowerPoints and presentations, um, but I, I'm a big fan of one-on-one -on -one coaching and mentoring. And coming from the HR space, I've worked with a lot of general managers in the hospitality industries and also um, frontline managers when they're trying to manage their employees and trying to coach them and, and develop them into their position or groom them to the, to the succession of the position, right? 
um, you know, providing these feedback and kind of guiding these managers and how to respectfully speak to an employee. I mean, as an HR professional, I always look at myself as a liaison, right? Not, not the person that, okay, this is how you do it. I'll take care of it. But more as their liaison, someone that, someone who they can come to to resolve problems, be the mediator when there's a, a situation between a manager and employee. Because what you want is you want to make that communication work. They're going to be working much more together than the employee or managers with HR. I mean, they should look at HR as a resource and as an, you know, as a door where they can come in and ask all the questions they can and take advantage of, oh my gosh, what I'm supposed to do with overtime? What I'm supposed to do if they are not meeting their uniform requirements? What are they, you know, what am I supposed to do if they spill coffee? And this is like the 10th time they spill coffee. How am I going to make them stop spilling coffee, right? Or if an employee is having struggled to meet those uniform requirements, why? Don't ask me. Have the conversation with the employee, right? I wouldn't know. But if you do need some assistance, I'll be more than happy to to help you um, develop that rapport and 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 create these questions that doesn't make an employee feel intimidated or uncomfortable because there might be some situations where they're not feeling comfortable, and that could also be because of the rapport that you're not building with them. One of the best examples that I've learned um, doing contract work and understanding what the workforce needs is just asking them, what got you here? Where do you see yourself two, three years from now? Are you in school? And if they tell you they're in school, oh, okay, great. What did you study? Things like that. Um, do you see yourself long-term in this position? And so this is how you start building rapport. The managers need to start doing that too. And I see more and more often that the P&Ls is very important. And I get it. <laughs> and operations P&L is extremely important, but also managing your, your team expectations because as the leader, they're looking up to you for a lot of things. And managers is looking up to HR for so much more things. And so I am so proud to, to be that liaison, to be that mediator between employee and manager and make sure that relationship works. That's me. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, and, you know, I, I also wanted to touch on this earlier, but it might be a good time to do this. But, you know, and again, managing performance, whether it's uh, in a larger type training, one-on-one -on -one coaching with a manager, um, you always want to ensure that they understand that it's important to, to manage the what. What is the employee doing? You know, it's easy to talk about widgets. Obviously, there's very diverse um, jobs out there, very technical. Um, I mean, can't even begin. It's just infinite. Um, the intricacies that go into, you know, each job. But, um, but I think the two most important things to look at are what is the employee doing and are they meeting those expectations? And number two, um, how are they doing it? And I, and I think the second one is, is the one we always, uh, lose. Um, because this is when behavior comes into play. So I'll give you a a simple example. Um, I'll use the sales again. Somebody's making their budget. Somebody's over budget. They're they're really great, but they're yelling at their customers. They're not very nice to deal with. Um, their communications are way off. I mean, you know, just short answers. Yes, they're meeting their their uh, responsibilities, but the attitude is just not there, and they're not really representing the company in in a in a great way. And so those are kind of the softer skills that make it really difficult on a manager to, to manage because they're not there with that person every day. And in fact, the person could be across the country. Um, you know, the manager could be in New York and the, the salesperson could be in LA 
but they're getting feedback from their customers about how awful this person talks to other people. And so they, that person really needs to kind of compartmentalize those discussions, really get into well, what's going on, get the feedback from the employee. Is this going on and why, you know, this was reported and start that documentation um, and, and then coach that person on, look, you really need to change your, your way, your tone, your, your way of talking to people. So again, that's, that's the how of, of, of ensuring that the, the employee is doing what they're supposed to do it and how they're supposed to do it. Right. Um, I, I, I like that, um, what you just said there, because um, when it comes to managing employees um, and, and meeting sales goals, like that PL that I was talking about, it's important for the company to create that revenue stream, but it's also important to revisit the core values of the organization and uh, what the, the organization stands for, right? And so when you hear these things, and, and, I've, and I've had work with organizations where it's completely a sales organization and they're very sales driven and it's all about, you know, what revenue we're bringing in, but how can you continue? And then I hear the problem, we're shirning clients. Well, the reason why we're shirning clients is because who you're putting up, you know, in the forefront and dealing with these people. And so it has been allowed so many, many times. And I've heard some great sales organizations that they don't, you know, uh, condone that and, and they revisit with the employee and, and they start having some performance conversations and say, listen, well, we do respect that you're bringing in the, the revenue. We also understand we don't want to continue putting in dollars in, in advertising for creating these clients because they're so hard to come by, especially now in COVID. So it's very important just to keep that self-awareness for the employee, teach emotional intelligence as well. Um, there, there's a certain stressor when it comes to meeting these deadlines and quotas. And so does the employee have that emotional intelligence to handle the stress and, and work with employees and, and not get all buckled up into the stressors of the company's demand and also what the client needs. And so I think that sufficient training and, and, and creating that self-awareness for everyone in the organization, also revisiting the core values of the company is super important, super essential, just to avoid what you've just said. I, uh, I think that's, that's very true and I agree with that. And, and really, I wanted to bring in something before we run out of time here that I know has been a common concern for a lot of people if someone's job right now does involve coming back into the office, even if it's part-time and part-time being virtual and someone does just absolutely does not feel comfortable and doesn't want to come back, you know, how do you manage their performance if their performance is reliant, their performance management is reliant on them being there. Uh, and for some companies it is. Wow. Um, That's a hard, it's a hard question. <laughs> uh, you know, if somebody's not comfortable returning, um, I mean, by this point, if it's an office job, um, I think it's pretty safe to say that they're probably able to work from home for the long term. Um, if it's some kind of blue collar, you know, manufacturing type work, then yeah, I mean, they probably had a return at some point already or some kind of modified uh, work. Now, we did deal with this earlier um, a few months ago. Uh, where people didn't feel comfortable coming to work and you know the, the company can only extend some companies maybe not all depending on your size and your budget maybe can extend some more leeway to the employee to say hey you know take the time off or you know they're just going to say you you're going to have to figure it out and take you know whatever um, vacation time sick time you know depending on where you live your state um, you know 
that's allotted to you. But at some point, you know, they're, they, they're probably going to have to return with those precautions. Um, of course, that's up to the employer to make sure that those precautions are in place. But again, from, from my experience, you know, if it's an office type environment, um, then if you're not comfortable going back, then, you know, as far as I'm, as far as I know, we're not making you go back at this point. Right, right. I, I think that is, it should be taken a case by case, but also be very careful how that's handled because you don't want to send the, mess, the message as, well, this person has special privileges. It has to, you know, right. if a work can be modified and with reasonable cause, then I don't see why an employee cannot allow, um, an employer does not allow an employee to not come back to work. I mean, I think the question um, in managing performance, there shouldn't be anything changed unless it's something that requires for the employees to be on site. Then, then we have to start revisiting a modification in their in their labor, right? What other things they can do in the meantime, and that's going to also require conversations about salary. Maybe what they were doing before, they, they were earning more, and now they have to earn less because what they were doing previously just it's a whole different job, right? And so. I've heard folks like, well, we're going to have to let them go because they're not meeting these expectations. And, and I'm like, no, 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 we have to look into other opportunities. Now, if it's reasonable for the organization, I mean, I'm not saying go ahead and create a job just to make this person feel comfortable. Um, but if a position does exist and it allows them to transition into that uh, position, then of course, you know, by all means, um, kind of revisit that and and set the tone for a culture where, hey, I'm not going to lose my job if I don't feel comfortable, but also set the tone, hey, if your job requires you to be there, just give me reasonable um, re reasonable um, uh, uh, <laughs> feedback to why I should readjust your position or the role. Um, but the feedback and performance management should not change. I think it should be consistent um, across the board. I think that if you follow the smart goals and, and provide specific you know metrics for the employees to follow, whether they're working from the office or working remotely, virtually, then nothing should change. But if it's a difficult employee, well, that may you know require a little bit more touch points, right? Touch bases. Like instead of calling this employee maybe once a week, maybe touch them, touch base with them first at the beginning of the week and towards the end of the week, right? Uh, set some specific goals on an ongoing basis and, and set milestone goals, um, not not long-term goals, but short-term goals and kind of see where that goes and, and see how the perform the employee reacts to that change and how they perform under that. So, but yeah, I mean, it's gonna be a lot of changes and a lot of pushback coming into the office, but it has to be reasonable for them not to feel good. And it also could be they have families, right? Right, with school being an issue, right? Yeah. The big They're, issue right now. It's a issue right now. Let's communication with your employees. You know, as the guidelines are changing, and let's say you are opening up your offices again, um, we're having some kind of modified openings. You know, make sure that your employees know that, and right up front too, and let them ask questions, have briefings. You know, explain to them what's going on, what you're required to do, what you're not required to do, what's optional, what's not. Just so they're aware and it's up front for them, so you have time also to have those discussions, like if they're not comfortable coming back, you know, you could work on those, like Brenda said, on a case-by-case -case basis. I agree. I agree. I, and I think all of this was really helpful because I know that this is something that a lot of people are struggling with because they're so used to doing performance management in the, with a system or a process that they've set into place and never had to be outside the office. Or even if they're remote, I still feel like now that 
the kids are remote, if someone is used to working remote, their remote world is very different now. So I, I think there's a lot of changes and, and we have to change with it. So I appreciate you guys coming on and I, I think you had wonderful tips and, and feedback for everybody. Absolutely. Hopefully you'll come again. Thank you. Hi everyone. So we are back doing a touch base. It's been about three months since I spoke with Brenda and Anthony on performance management. So we're back and I just wanted to talk about if you feel like anything has changed at all as far as how people should go about performance management in this virtual world and also in the world of transitioning back to in-person. So no, no, not Corey, nothing has changed. Um, nothing should have changed. I think the only thing, the big thing that has changed with performance management is that you're taking something that normally happens inside the office space, right, to something more virtual. So there is a learning curve behind that for those who are not, you know, adapt to technology and trying to navigate Zoom or whatever the case may be and how they're conducting these virtual meetings. But, you know, and truly is just being able to be that transparent leader, um, being able to focus on the, on, on the task or the job, you know, before them, uh, using that as a metrics to measure the, everyone's performance, whatever the task or responsibility is on the employee, is just to be able to communicate, hey, have you done this? Have you done that? But it's not about micromanaging. I mean, I, I think people misconstrue performance management with micromanagement. It's it's giving a lot of, um, how you call it, um, leeway or freedom for your employees to make their own decisions and you're just there to guide them and coach them through the process and be available to them whenever they need you for, for any answers that they to the questions that they have. Right. Agree 100%, Brenda. And actually, we're in an interesting time right now because we are, a lot of companies are assessing the 2020 performance at this point. They may have already done that. Um, we're kind of in that period right now where people are getting their performance ratings from last year. So, and also setting up targets and performance metrics for this year. So, with that, you have people being put on performance plans if they're kind of um, not performing very well. So all this stuff is going on as it does every year. Um, and so, like, you know, Brenda said, nothing should have changed. It, it should not be uh, looking over the shoulder kind of thing, you know, with people at work. Because in all honesty, a lot of people don't get to work side by side with their managers. I mean, maybe if you're in a manufacturing area or something like that, more blue collar. But, um, you know, those jobs that are especially in sales, as I went into the last time we, we met, um, you know, you're not, you're not seeing your manager at all. And so they have to look at what are you actually doing? What are, what sales are you making? You know, what targets are you hitting? Are you hitting your targets or not? Um, all those things. But maybe this year, as we kind of integrate back in the office, as they're looking at the targets for 2021, um, maybe putting in certain targets to integrate back in the office, if it's relevant or not, uh, maybe it won't be, um, depending on the, on the job. I think, you know, um, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's fine. Go it's ahead. Not, no, go ahead, Corey. Okay. It, it, uh, excuse me. I just lost my train of thought there. But Anthony, you, you hit the point there too, where, you know, looking more forward of how to kind of navigate back into the office. I mean, are we eventually going back to the office? Yes, there is an opportunity, hopefully, you know, trying to be optimistic for the third quarter 
where we can navigate going back. But, you know, looking at those metrics, looking at those performances, this is definitely the, we're already entering the, the annual performance review. Um, but I do want to, you know, ask folks to be careful in, in how they're providing those grades, because I will have to say a lot of folks who are working from home find it to be very challenging to multitask because one, our workforce, they, they don't have babysitters and they have their children or they fur babies or whatever obligations that they have that's gonna create distraction. So I would say, you know, provide them a little leniency, but always focusing on the metrics in front of them. You know, what, what, what was their targets, what they needed to meet. And then from that point is to create that target for the following performance annual, you know, performance year. Um, but we have to really be careful how we, I hate to say it, but judge the performance based on this situation that we're in in COVID, but really focus on the, you know, on the big picture, on the overarching picture. Can this person perform? How did they do last year? Was it any different they did the previous prior to COVID? And I think that's where we need to start looking, is looking at their previous performance. Did they, um, excuse me, did they... Um, excel the expectation they exceed the expectation from the last time we had a conversation um and if anything that lagged what really was the big problem and i think managers now need to be very curious about asking those real questions and and be you know transparent hey look i understand that certain things change and blah 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 and you know just having those real heart-to-heart conversations and be empathetic about it right. I can i just pick up on something uh, brenda said there um with People, people are still feeling the, uh, the pain, if you will, um, of uh, the pandemic and working mm -hmm. from home. Um, and it may be reflecting in their work. Actually, I, I, I can see it more and more. You know, with kids, are they going back to school? Are they not going back to school? Are they kind of doing a hybrid thing? You know, one week they're home, the, work, then the next week they're in school. You know, and then, and then parents are trying to um, do, obviously do their work as they always have been doing. But now maybe they're, they're going back to the workplace too. So what do you do about childcare? And I've actually been seeing more and more people, employees stressed out because of this very issue. And so, you know, my advice always to managers is just as much, and I know we're kind of getting a little off topic, but it's all within the right. context of work here. Um, just try to be as accommodating as you can, whether that's yes. time off, whether that's, you know, shifting hours from early morning to after hours or whatever, if you can, um, you know, the, all these things, if, if they have to kind of reduce their hours, go part-time for a period, you know, maybe we could, we could uh, accommodate that. Um, so it, it's all about communication and talking to your manager about what can we work out here to really keep my sanity <laughs> as a, as an employee and as a parent and also, um, you know, get the job done as well. And that Absolutely. kind of leads into where I was going and Brenda kind of already took us there too, is that I think it, a lot of places are also trying to figure out how do we accurately judge someone's performance management because it's not, it's not fair to base their performance from last, their base what they're expecting this year off of what happened last year. And it wasn't fair last year to expect certain things from an employee that they had done in 2019. So I don't know, what are your suggestions as far as how do employers, you know, balance that, their expectations? Because you definitely can't have the same expectations when there's all these other factors coming into play, like having children at home and, 
you know, just being home. Some people may not have a good or a, a nice or good spot for them to actually sit at home and work. I know that many people don't have that and they didn't plan to have that. So it's been hard to work from home for some people in that situation. That, that's really accurate, Corey. Um, and, and to Anthony's point, flexibility goes a long way here. Um, you have to be flexible. You have to be careful on how to uh, measure someone's performance based on life situation changes. I mean, this is this was an overtaking, you know. And to your point, there not many people have an office space in their home. <laughs> really, I mean, we're in New York City. They're, they're, we're, we're, we live in 400 square feet apartments. Uh, I, I don't, but you know, the majority of people do, and 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 it's very difficult to be able to navigate and then also balance life when you're balancing work. So the work-life balance is very tricky now, but again, focusing on the job that needs to be done, we have to be very serious about developing and, and exercising those expectations, communicating those expectations. So in terms of flexibility, I'm not saying go below what you did back in 2019. If you can keep the same pace, wonderful. But if something else happened, I urge all managers, all leaders, as a leader, you have the responsibility and accountability to be very curious about what's happening with your employee, right? Ask them questions. Hey, is there anything I can do to help? Or what's causing, the, what, what are the cause and effects to, to not meeting these goals and, and these targets? And so we can help you for the coming year. Uh, do you think this is going to be a problem, you know, entering or uh, entering 2022 when we, when we look at some of What are we doing then? So it's just being very curious, being very sympathetic and flexible. I agree. Do you feel that it's fair to require a certain amount of hours from employees? Because, you know, with working from home, you can't really tell if they're working X number of hours. And I know that a lot of um, employers, they pay based on the number of hours that employee, uh, that employees work, or they require a certain number of hours to even help go towards um, paid time off. But I do feel like a lot of being flexible and a lot of, you know, helping manage their performance is being flexible. And to be flexible, I kind of feel like we need to go in the direction of, this is what needs to be done by this date or needs to be accomplished unless how many hours per day are you spending working? Does it, do you agree with yeah, that? I think, yeah, I think it depends. Um, you know, you also have your different categories of employees. You have your non-exempt who can really only work, you know, the hours they're allotted, you know, eight hours a day, 40 hours a week. And then you have your your non-exempts who are pretty much the salaried and they could work as much as they want. Um, but yeah, there is an expectation of, you know, well, how much work do I actually have? Like how many cases do I have? That's what you're working caseload or projects, you know, if you're a project kind of uh, employee, based employee. Um, so it all depends, but it, I think it comes a point on the employee to say, you know, okay, I have all this work, um, I'm, I'm looking at this week, I'm looking at next week, I'm looking at the week after. Um, I can't really accommodate this right now. So that requires a communication with the manager. Um, and, and it's not really, a, a, it may not be a thing about reducing hours per se, it may be reducing workload or getting help, getting assistance. You know, maybe, maybe they could pull somebody from their team 
um, something like that. So it, it really doesn't hinge on hours anymore because, you know, technically, you know, most full-time employees are 40 hours per week, but we all know people work 60, 70 hours per week because right. that's just the amount of work they have. So it, it's going to take that communication with the, uh, with the manager and the employee. I, I definitely agree to that. And, uh, you know, with, when it comes to um, identifying hourly workers versus um, salary workers, I mean, salaries, like you said, they work 60, 70 hours a week. Um, as You know, they have a lot of autonomy to complete certain tasks within, you know, 40 hours. They can do it within less than 40 hours and still be okay and march, on, march ahead doing other things. Um, but an hourly employee, that's kind of very difficult to monitor when you're, <laughs> when they're doing whatever stuff remote, um, they can actually take the entire 25 hours when they're doing other things. I mean, I don't know. Um, I, I really don't know. I think that we're not having um, enough people to complete certain jobs. That is for sure. That's what I'm getting right now. People are actually working a lot more. So I'm not concerned people are underworking. I'm, I'm really concerned that people are overworking, especially in the new environment that we're in. Um, being that we're working from home and, and come on us, we get it. When we work from home, we're like, we do a lot more than we were in the office. Am I not right? I mean, we are, you know, not only doing laundry, but we're also picking up that extra phone call. We're also sending out that extra proposal because we're like in our zone. So we're working more than what we normally do in our office because we're not distracted by our coworkers, the, you know, the, 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 the pantry talks that we have nowadays, when we go grab a cup of coffee or smoke a cigarette, whatever the case may be, we're not distracted by those things anymore. So we're overworking. Um, I don't know if folks can actually um, separate those different job tasks to other people. I don't even think that's even a possibility with all these layoffs that's happening right now. Um, but, you know, truly it's being honest about your time, what you can handle to what Anthony said. Time management is critical in communicating um, what can you accomplish and what you can. I think that it happens, it needs to happen both ways. But again, going back on the accountability and responsibility of the manager is to go ahead and ask these questions. Is this realistic? So in, in the first part of the um, podcast, I mentioned the SMART goals. You got to have to revisit those SMART goals again, and, and make sure that they are hitting all the points. And if they're not, how can we help you? How can we help you? But, you know, I think people are, are working more than ever in this, pande in this pandemic. They're not underworking, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and, and also look at your company's resources too, because there's a lot of services out there that could help you as far as um, how, to, how to manage time, you know, whether it's training, time management training, or even you know, counseling, you know, a lot of big companies have the employee assistance program, you know, that will, oh. it, it's not only like grief counseling and that kind of thing or stress, it's, it's, it's how to manage workload or how to, how to, you know, manage uh, time and, and work with other people and that kind of thing. I'm glad you said that. Oh I my gosh. People don't even know about the employee assistance program that they do have, or they don't know what it's for. You're right on. They don't even know what's for. I can tell you how many clients I've worked with who actually said, what is that? What is EAP? We're in the middle of pandemic. You should know what this is for, right? People are grieving. Either a, a, a loss of income because their spouse lost their job, uh, loss of family member because of COVID. You know, folks really need to get on board with this program. It's actually free. It comes with the insurance plan. You just have yeah. to ask. 
and yeah. help your folks navigate to it, you know, point out to it. I, I wasn't shocked of how many clients I've worked with and they had no idea that this was a resource for their employees and it was free. It was part of their insurance yeah. plan. Yeah. Unbelievable. So one thing I just want to take, it does. I just want to change the topic for a second, a little bit. I do feel like performance management and your, um, the evaluations that kind of give their employee, the employees feedback on their performance also has a lot to do with who's going to progress or move up in the company uh, promotions. And I do feel like there are some employees now that unfortunately are at a disadvantage of ha- receiving that uh, chance to move up or a, a raise for performance because le- they could have been a fantastic, very successful person in the office. Now they have three kids at home running around and it, ju- it does make it more difficult to have that same um, productivity as you did before or focus as you did before. So. What are your suggestions on a fair way to, to make those decisions or to even, even when it comes to hiring? I do find that some companies now are, they are leaning towards people that don't have kids at home just because they're trying to figure out how is someone going to take on this new role and handle the kids because we've seen that that's happened with a lot of employees that are already in that situation. It's been difficult. That's discrimination. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I was gonna say, be very yeah, careful. That, <laughs> be very careful um, to discriminate a, a mom or a dad from working because they have kids at home and and preventing them to climb up the corporate ladder because they you believe they can't handle the task. First of all, to the employee, if you're listening to this, find yourself another job. <laughs> your dad's not the right employer. Um, but yeah. for the um, for the employer listening to this, shame on you if you're if this is your practice. But if you're trying to adopt new ways to develop your culture, because you still have a culture you're growing, whether it's remote or, or in the office, there is a message you're sending by not promoting someone based on their family values. I mean, I I think that you need to get with the times. Well, let me and let let's say that the judgment call isn't being made just because they have children, but their performance is hindered, not just because they have children, but maybe they don't have a, a workspace at home that's easy to work in, or they don't have very good Wi-Fi. Let's say that their performance is hindered by this new situation. How do you accurately compare them to their peers that might be going for a, the same position? That makes more sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I- I think it, it all goes back again to the communication. So if you have things that are hindering you from doing your job, then you need to address, whether it's technology, you know, if you don't have the correct um, Wi-Fi or, or computer, you know, if you're working off of, over, off of a laptop for a year and you can't deal with that anymore, you know, there's things called reasonable accommodations too. So if you have something wrong with your eyesight, you can't continue to look at this laptop monitor, you know, the company should be getting you big monitors for example. So they, sh- they need to accommodate you to do your job effectively and successfully. And, and any, any good company should do that, would do that, because that just means, you know, more productivity on the other end. Um, as, and then I'm sorry, your, your other part of this question um, was how, w- would it hinder performance or something like that? I think you know, that it, um, have certain factors that have come into yeah. play that hinder what the performance was, I mean, is now versus what it was before. 
Right. So you always have to go back to the basics with performance. You know, or are they are they hitting their targets? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? Are they doing quality job? You know, are they doing it timely? All those smart criteria items that uh, Brenda hit on last time. Anything kind of outside of that needs to be taken in consideration, and again, needs to be communicated. You know, if it's if it's I have to watch my kids, well, we have uh, leave you could take or whatever the case may be, or you could adjust your hours like we went into earlier. You know, it, it takes you, employees should just not assume that managers are going to know, um, you know, what's going on in their lives that might be hindering their work. You know, it, it could be an illness. You know, somebody could be going through some kind of um, God forsaken illness and that's inhibiting their work. So again, it takes that employee to kind of make that known. And there's, again, there's programs that kind of deal with these or there should be. There's actually laws that deal with these things too. Like I was referring to reasonable accommodations, uh, leave, um, sick time, all the, all these other, um, pay time leave. benefits, right. Pay time off. Right. Right. But I do, Bridget, I do want to, you were right. I mean, I don't feel like a lot of employers and I know from experience with some that they are not seeing it as discrimination, but seeing it as more like, how do we keep our business running, but it is not fair to pick and choose who's going to do which roles based on who has least distractions at home. I really hope, I really hope that my HR thought partners are not uh, allowing our leadership team make decisions based on that. Like that's just really my hope. But, but again, I, I think that managers and, and the leadership team should lean towards on HR support. And this is when HR should come in and really lend in the hand when it comes to remote performance management. And here's why they can send out a survey for those folks who are unable to, you know, freely share any medical concerns because of embarrassment or whatever the case may be, you know, HR can step up to the plate and, and take in a survey and, and go ahead and check on every employee to see if they need any additional accommodation, as long as it doesn't hurt the organization's budget, right? Provide, you know, an undue hardship to the organization. So, you know, do a survey to all employees. And if that means just checking up on them, you know, directly and find out if they have all the technology resources that they need to continue their support. Because if you're finding now out that during performance evaluation that your employee cannot do their job because they didn't have a reliable computer or reliable um, Wi-Fi, shame on both, right? Because it's a, it's a partnership, it's a collaboration of employee and manager, and they should have had that conversation a long time ago. And, and this is why I, I really frown upon when some leaders come to me, hey, I'm gonna let go of this person because they're not meeting their expectation. Um, when did this employee find out that they weren't meeting their expectations? So it's important to still have that check-in, that one-on-one, because if you're finding out in the 11th hour that this person didn't have, you know, adequate resources and materials and technology to complete their task, shame on you, right? But they need to really lean on HR for a lot of that support too, if they feel like they need that help to, to, to really get that information out. Because I'll tell you, employees are not that comfortable with filling the beans to their managers for whatever X, Y, and Z reason. And for that reason too, for, for, for failing of, for, for not being considered for a promotion. So it is important right. to kind of get that outsider within the HR, within the company to, to get more involved with that. And even the opposite. I, I mean, it's all too often that I find employees have been terminated and they have no idea why. 
And if the employee doesn't know that it might be coming or they don't have a clue why they were terminated, then I think that's just proof that there was zero communication beforehand and really no performance management. Yeah, that's a failure on the side of the company. Um, most of the time, you know, there are there are issues that arise that, yeah, require the immediate termination of somebody. Those are pretty rare and egregious. Um, but if it's a performance management issue, you know, they should really be building up to that point with performance ratings, with coaching, with documentation, with performance plans to get to that point of termination really is, you know, a lot of warning and notice should have been done. Right. It should. Absolutely. And last thing for you, and I know this could be a little uh, difficult to answer, but, you know, we talked about performance management when it comes to just you know, continuing the great performance someone has had thus far, you know, promotions, you know, how do you explain the performance management if before they might be terminated or showing them that's the route they're on. But one thing I'd like to touch on is when someone is terminated, I, I mean, I do feel like this falls under performance management because I personally feel like it is fair to give someone some sort of explanation evaluation of why this is happening so that they can progress and move up in future endeavors but i also know that in a lot of um places that that is not required and a lot of employers do not give a reason um about as to why it was you know saying it wasn't a good fit or just not working out is not an explanation it's not feedback so how do you feel about when you have done everything you can in regards to performance management kind of taking that to the next level when you do have to let someone go and giving them that feedback for future. Does that make sense? That's a great, yeah, no, that's definitely a great question. I mean, we're in that will state and you can, an employer can let you go just as much as you're willing to leave. Um, I think that, you know, when you, when someone gets terminated, you should know, the employee should know why at some point, at some point, right? Right. They, they have to have like a little feeling like, oh, it's because I did this or did that or assume their own thing. But to avoid any litigious reason to let go of someone, it's why it's so important to document, you know, performance and having these annual reviews or these um, one-on-ones because it, it kind of avoids that, 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 that concern of, oh, they fired me because um, for discrimination reasons and blah, 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 right? Because an employee can come back and, and, and file, you know, anything with the Department of Human Services and Human Resources, excuse me, and, and just say, hey, my boss was very prejudiced and that's why I was terminated and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, documentation goes a long way and, and employees should not find out the reason why um, uh, the day they're let, let go as a surprise, if there should have been enough conversation documentations ahead of time. Right, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things I ensure my managers do, um, my clients, is as the performance plan is getting to the end and really there's no, there's nothing good that's gonna come out of this. The employee's not doing well, they're failing this performance plan. Um, I have them have a meeting with the employee. You know, it's like, they have the series of meetings throughout the performance plan, like maybe every week or every two weeks at the last meeting before the end date of that, that uh, performance plan, I try to encourage them to tell them, you know, 
exactly what's not going well, give them examples, and tell them exactly where this is headed. Mm. You have to be really upfront and honest. And then, but when that time comes for if the employee doesn't get it by then and resign first, um, you know, and the time comes for termination, there's really not much to be said at that point. 